Welcome into another episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Well, on today's episode, let's focus in on the U.S. Meat Export Federation Spring Conference that was held last week in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And USMEF had a record attendance for that spring conference. Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, says they have a lot to celebrate. Well, you need to start with pork, without a doubt. Pork export business through the first quarter is uh, up dramatically, up 14 15%. It's broad-based growth. I mean, it's not just one market. The star is Mexico and a lot of the Latin American countries, but you have other markets, some of the smaller regions that are really contributing, Taiwan, Philippines, Vietnam, Australia. So uh, it's really encouraging to see some of these markets coming back. And it's no coincidence. I mean, we're working in these markets all the time, but one of our major competitors in a global marketplace Europe, their production is down over 10% the last two years and prices are significantly higher. So that's a significant shift in the landscape globally. The U.S. industry is starting to capitalize. He says demand for American meat products overseas is still strong. Yeah, demand on beef and pork is, considering the higher prices on beef, is hanging in there very well. And on the pork side, we wish we could force some of those prices even higher because I think the demand is there globally. We had the third largest year ever on pork last year. We had the record on beef. And that's with a lot of the Asian markets being hamstrung. Food service is still not back to normal. We call it 60-70% of normal in a lot of these Asian countries. So there's a tailwind there later in 2023 on both pork and beef. They're seeing beef exports pick up after a slow start to 2023. Right now, uh, on the pork side, we're, we're up 15% through the first quarter. We're pretty optimistic, especially given the European situation where they're shorter on supply and much higher pricing. Right now, our official forecast for the year is up 8% on pork. Of course, we have a long way to go, nine more months for the year. On the beef side, we started out down quite a bit in January and February. But you got to remember that a year ago, it was records, I mean, through the roof. So we're comparing to a very high bar. March, though, came in at 20000 tons higher than both January and February. So we were very encouraged by that. Our forecast on the beef side, of course, production is going to be down 5%, but our forecast right now is down 4%. And there are also opportunities for increasing lamb exports as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's about telling the story. And the story is not about price. We need to get to where the story is about quality, consistency, uniqueness, flavor. And then price is somewhere down on the list. When we can get that on the lamb side, then we've won. And that's what's happened in Japan. There are other opportunities. Mexico is a stronghold for U.S. lamb. The Caribbean, although not up a lot at the moment, but it's strong. And Central America and some other markets as well. But you have access in places like Japan, Hong Kong, Korea, we're still working on. But we need to make further penetration into these really high-end food service markets. And that's a good example of what we've done with Wolfgang's and Peter Luger's. Now, as Hallstrom mentioned earlier, one particular region of optimism is Mexico, which has seen growth in both pork and beef purchases this year. Keynote speaker Kenneth Smith-Ramos, who served as Mexico's chief negotiator for the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, says it's a relationship that politicians should not take for granted. There's $800 billion in trade overall between Mexico and the U.S., and in the ag sector, it's over $72 billion bilaterally. We really should send the message to the leaders that free trade in agriculture strengthens food security in the region and that we should not going forward cause any disruptions in this flow of trade in both directions. Also at the spring conference, former House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson urged attendees to push trade to the front of the agenda for the next farm bill. My experience, when people come into my office, uh, they would talk about the farm bill 
And they would talk about crop insurance, they'd talk about Title I, they'd talk about conservation, talk about rural development. And then at the end of the meeting, they'd say, oh, and by the way, we've got to do something about trade. That was the extent of it. So you've got to get to these members of Congress, and it should be the first thing you talk to them about, not the last thing. And I think if you approach it that way, you can get some people to the table that are going to put this on the top of the agenda, not the bottom. Also during the spring conference for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Barrett Nelson, American Farm Bureau Federation economist, provided a beef market outlook during the event. We've been talking about drought conditions and a lot of things changing in beef supplies in the last year and where prices are headed. We know drought has caused a lot of supplies to get tighter along with high input costs and you know inflation happening. And so all those things combining, beef prices have headed higher. And while this is happening, we have to remember that the farmer hasn't had a lot of time to recoup a lot of this through these better pricing situations and a lot of them farmers have a burn rate and so we've eaten into some of that equity and we're going to see some guys struggle with that and that's one of the reasons we'll continue to see some liquidation in the cattle industry for a little bit for consumers for now that means more supply now less later Exactly, and that's kind of what we mean by saying markets becoming current. So when these supplies really get into the market system, when we get into cold storage and what we have, as that dwindles, we're going to see prices start to hike eventually. And we've seen recent times where in the consumer price index, beef has actually been one of the few products that has decreased in prices. And through COVID, we had that one big spike in beef prices, but other than that, they've been relatively consistent. So as this spikes, it's going to start to affect the consumer as we think about the potential for a looming recession and what that means for the money that they're willing to spend on food and they may begin to look for substitutes and again that's comments with afbf economist barrett nelson from last week's u.s meat export federation spring conference in minneapolis minnesota before that comments with former house ag committee chairman colin peterson as well as keynote speaker kenneth smith ramos who served as mexico's chief negotiator for the usmca agreement and u.s meat export federation president and ceo dan and Hallstrom. A few other news headlines before we wrap up today's program. The Bureau of Land Management hosted the first in a series of three informational sessions on a new agency proposal to broaden its conservation efforts. The draft conservation and landscape health rule would overhaul a variety of existing land management procedures at BLM. The changes would give it clearer authority to prioritize the health and resilience of ecosystems across almost 250 million acres of federally owned land. Agency officials and supporters of the rule say it would place conservation and outdoor recreation on level ground with industrial uses like ranching and oil and gas drilling that BLM has facilitated for many years. Opponents and their Republican allies say it will likely curb those uses as much of the rule revolves around conservation leases, quote-unquote. It's a new mechanism that would protect certain areas from development for up to 10 years, and those leases would be proposed by environmental nonprofits or other applicants. And finally, here on American Ag Today, according to numbers from the U.S. Labor Department, more than 378,000 workers were authorized for H-2A visas for temporary agriculture positions. The number was less than a third of that as recently as 2012. Back in 2012, the Labor Department said just 103,000 workers entered the U.S. through the H-2A program. H-2A workers are most heavily utilized in states like California and Florida because fruits and vegetables require more manual labor. However, those workers are also vital for agriculture in the Midwest and Great Plains. Iowa tops the list of states with the most H-2A workers in the central U.S. Iowa was followed by Minnesota and North Dakota on the list. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day and a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday.